is excused. The trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Obligacion. Here. Trustee Sign. Here. And Trustee Splendorio. Here. We do have a quorum. Okay. Uh, next, we're on to public comment. Is there any public comment? No, there is not. Okay. Uh, then we're going on to the agenda. Item A, action item, approval of the <coughs> minutes of the July 5th, 2023 meeting. Any comments on the minutes? I have one. Um, on the last paragraph of uh, item B3, you just refer to uh, NAMI. What is NAMI? Maybe you ought to write that out. Assuming somebody someday goes back and looks at these minutes because after 60 days I didn't remember what they what that meant. Okay. Any other comments? And seeing none, could I have a motion for approval? Motion to approve. Second. second. We have a motion and a second. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Obagasio. Aye. Trustee Sign. Aye. And Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes. Okay, thank you. Uh, next item on the agenda is an information discussion item on the article that was sent out about Blue Cross um, moving <clears throat> their uh, drugs for their pharmacy met network uh, from CVS to uh, Cost Plus Drugs, which is Mark Cuban's new network. Um, and this is really not to engender a great deal of discussion, just for information on general knowledge, general information about trends in the healthcare market. Um, Blue Cross said they will continue to use CVS for specialty drugs and certain other conditions, but I interpret that to mean for as little as possible. Um, and CVS shares dropped 6% the day of the day after the announcement. So obviously we have a paradigm change here. Uh, CVS has a big real estate structure um, and uh, Mark Cuban and Amazon don't to quite an extent. And it just shows where things are going. And I would imagine more and more healthcare is gonna go toward telehealth and other online solutions. And, I guess we all have to be thinking about what that means for the future of clinic visits and, and other things uh, that we provide that would require uh, large investments in real estate and bricks and mortar <laughs> that may not be competitive later. So uh, that's all I have to say on it. Any other comments? I was just struck. I thought <clears throat> I thought it was a very interesting article and for, for cost plus essentially is what they call it. This was a quadrupling plus of their membership. Prior to that, they had one organization that we're working with that had about a million members, but Blue Shield has um, 4.8 million. And so it's just, it's a quantum leap for their, their span. I think you're right. I think it has implications, much broader implications for the industry. And Blue Shield's rationalization, they think they can save up to $500 million a year by virtue of this change. And so it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to echo. So more to come. Other comments? Okay, thank you for that, James. 
And we're on to item B2, the report from the Chief Financial Officer. All right, thank you. So we'll go ahead and share our screen. So Ronna will share screen here. Sorry, I moved ahead of my accident. We can uh, start with the June, that's fine. And we'll go back to July. So we'll do it in uh, date order. So we're gonna start with the June preliminary financial statements. Um, there were significant changes to the June financial statements. So we did a summary slide here, rolling forward what we said in May and where we ended for the June preliminary financials. So uh, we, for net income on May 31st, we were um, at 37,149,000. So we were missing budget by 4,793,000. So that's kind of how to read this slide. And then what we did is we uh, summarized the major transactions that got booked in June. The first one was a couple of cost settlements for 21 and 22 from Medi-Cal. That was a pickup to us of 18.7 million. We did attempt to tell you whether it had a cash impact or not because we thought that might be relevant to folks. So in this case, we did receive this money, so we put a yes there. Um, the next item there is AB85 realignment. Um, we discovered for FY21 that we are only going to have to pay back $8.4 million. We thought that we were going to have to pay back the entire thing of $45.6 million. So that's a pickup to us of $37.2 million. So we are going to be able to keep that funding, which is, just, which is great news to us. Um, I will say that for 22, it's not gonna be as positive. Um, we think right now we've got everything, we're completely reserved for the entire uh, balance in 22. So the net is 31.6 pickup. The HPAC amendment, we actually got more money for FY23. The total we're gonna get is 52.1. At this point, we're reserved 40 million. So we're thinking we're gonna keep 12.1. And just to back up for a second, AB 85 has a two-year reconciliation period. And what we discovered is that we got money from COVID, but like the additional FMAP. And basically, this formula forces us to pay it back. So they, we, were, we received it. And then this formula, because it would take an actual legislative act to change the formula, doesn't disallow the COVID pickup. So that's why uh, for 22, we're not gonna, we don't think we'll be able to keep it. So for Physician Spa, good news there, we had an audit for FY08. They're finally getting to those early years and we were over-reserved by five million. So that one isn't additional cash, but it is a pickup to our financials. The big one that we're gonna talk about tonight later is the ACERA retirement adjustment. This one had a negative impact of 59.3 million, which is a big material number, which is why we're gonna have a, a discussion about it later tonight. Uh, we had an inventory adjustment. This was uh, PP&E that expired in our warehouse. And so we had to write that off of 5.7 million. And then there's a bunch of other items that are in my standard report, most of that being labor. Um, that total up to our 19.8 million and that the total variance for net income in June is now a hit of 24 million 
And then for EBITDA, since some of these things get um, don't get added, well, or not a non-cash issue or non-cash number, we can add it back. So we've got the change in net income of the 19771, right? And then we're going to add back that ACERA because it's the um, deferred portion. So we don't have to pay out those dollars in this year. So we're adding that back and then just a couple adjustments for depreciation interest, which are part of the EBITDA calculation. So I don't know if that was helpful, but I kind of put a bunch of large adjustments on one sheet of paper. <laughs> I'm just curious, um, $5 million worth of inventory, what sort of products were there? Drugs? No, most of it was PP&E with expiration dates. PPE, masks, gloves. Those things had dates on them? I mean, the dates must be pretty long. They are, but we've been storing them for over two years now. Oh, because of the... I mean, they were bought, bought, bought in a lot of bulk because we didn't think we would have access. <clears throat> in in many places, didn't. All the stuff's going to go in a lamp. Yeah. Well, the we're... Ocean. Uh, we're I think we're some we're trying to give it away in some fashion. In the past, we've been able to ship those sorts of things overseas. They don't have the same, unfortunately. But it's a way to recycle it and get some use out of it. Sure. So I, that's an option. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we're gonna we did a stay back home. I have because I thought that it's gonna you know. It's yeah. going to be hard. Yeah. And I, have, I, I look at my house and I'm like, oh my God, I have all this expired yeah. stuff that I purchased. That's what we did on the large scale. It's already scale. <laughs> Does this number also include inventory count variance? No, this is just what we wrote off in the warehouse. What would it be in a normal year if we didn't, didn't have the COVID? Uh, we try not, we try to rotate so we don't have expired products. So this is this is unique because we were storing it and stockpiling, trying to make sure we would have enough. And I think uh, we just didn't rotate the inventory through the warehouse. And can this loss uh, increase the amount of money we might be able to keep from our government reimbursement? I mean, because it really is a, a COVID-related loss. It's something that the government will say, okay, you know, you had to keep this because you didn't know, you know, the pandemic wasn't over until, what was it, May 2023, and by then this stuff was practically expired. Well, I don't remember in the cost report being anything specific that we would, would pull this out. So in that case, maybe we would, at least for our government payers. Uh, but I, I, I probably should go back and, and just validate that. Maybe we can get some credit for it. Yeah. We're still, we've uh, submitted all of our FEMA claims and we're still waiting here on whether we're going to get any of that funding. Uh, our auditor just uh, changed over, so we have a new person that we don't have a relationship with, but the person that we had prior to that was great, giving us updates, telling us we're moving along, it's looking good, looking good. Um, so we're hoping that soon we'll get some FEMA money. So next slide, please. So this is um, just my uh, 
declaration that these are not final statements for June. We still have to go through the audit and there are certain entries that we just don't have the information to book as of today. Um, the behavioral health John George payments are always running uh, two to three months behind. So we will true those up once we know what those are. Uh, the auditors do a look back analysis. This is a procedure of Moss Adams. They make sure that we've collected all of the cash for whatever we said was our accounts receivable on June 30. Um, supplemental programs, um, Measure A, they also run two to three months behind, so we will true that up. And I don't know of any other um, impact on the supplemental programs, but sometimes things do happen and we get new information and then we have to react to it. The foundation uh, was still closing their books. We still have to reconcile between the two because we have to consolidate. And then there's the actuarial um, reports that have not all been received and booked. Next slide, please. So these are the volumes, which should not change at all. Um, some good news. In June, our length of stay was 5.9. Year-to-date, we're 6.3. 5.9 is what we were in the previous year. So this is a is, is really a, a great thing to see. We've been saying that we thought we'd be able to get that length to stay down, and in June we did. Um, our discharges were only off uh, 2% or 30 patients, and patient days were up 1.7%. Our CMI um, was also up, which is good. That means we had higher intensity of services for our patients, which usually means a longer length of stay. So all of that is really great news. Trauma came to the ER, level two, EPA four, minute. Trauma came to the ER, level two, EPA four, minute. Perfect timing on that uh, notice because uh, <laughs> trauma cases were up 10.4%, and that drives our commercial payer mix, which tends to ha uh, allow us to have a really good collection model. So um, we had 24 more than um, planned for those cases. Our ED visits were down 1.5%. Um, I've, uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback from the physicians that they want me to add left without being seen to see if we can capture how many people we, we miss that aren't counted as a visit because we couldn't bill for them. So that's one of the stats that we'll be adding. Um, our surgeries were down, which is consistent with the CMI. Um, outpatient, um, actually in this case, uh, it, the surgeries are 23 or 3% off, and most of it being an outpatient. And for the year, you'll notice outpatient is actually 8.5% above budget. So this was unique to the month of June. On the skilled nursing side, things are also improving. Our discharges were above budget. Our census was, um, was strong, um, so we're able to get patients through the system better, and that's, I think, helping our length of stay. Our clinic visits were really strong, 9.3% over budget, better than they've been most of the year. So some nice, um, some nice stats there. Next slide, please. So here's the uh, financial statements. Just a couple comments here. Um, we had a net loss of 16.3. Remember all those things I started with, particularly that uh, um, GASB retirement, deferred retirement hit. 
So that's a miss of 19.8 million. Year to date, a, a hit of 24.6. You probably all recall that we've been saying we think we're going to make budget. We think we're going to make budget. We're going to be really close. We're going to be really close. Well, that uh, that uh, retirement hit is was the uh, surprise to us all, and we will talk about that more in a little bit. On the evidence side of things, um, we are ahead of budget. 41.1 million for the month and 41.3 for the year, so we did achieve our budget. Um, also, just to note, there's not a lot that's changed. This June report is similar to pretty much every report I've given this year as far as variances go. Uh, the next slide here is our revenue slide. Sorry, my arrows are working on there. So our uh, gross patient revenue was up 7.5%, and that relates to uh, the things we talked about, the trauma, the, the clinic visits, all the, the areas where we were above budget. And our uh, collection ratio is high at 24.8, and that's being driven by the cost report settlements that we talked about on the first slide. We had a pickup of 18.7 million there. Next page. So this is the supplementals, and um, the big number there is Measure A. We had another pickup of 2.6 million in the month, and for the year, 27.1 million. So uh, we definitely underestimated how much Measure A money we would get in our budget. Um, we thought we were going into a recession. We held it flat, and lo and behold, it's up 20% or so. so. People were spending. Supplemental programs are being driven by two items, the AB85 realignment that we talked about in the beginning, and um, also QIP for the year to date. Those are the two big ones there driving that. And worthy to note here on the other operating revenue, retail pharmacy, they just keep coming in over budget and doing really well. They're 5.6 over, and our grants are a little off. They're about $3 million under. Move on to expenses. Next slide. So I'm not going to read all this to you, and most of the variances are pretty much been the same all year. Um, labor costs is obviously the big one, and we'll talk about that in the next slide. Purchase services in this month are higher than our year-to-date because of the higher outside medical services. The materials and supplies are over because of that inventory um, adjustment for the expired uh, supplies of 5.6. So those are the items that are driving. The rest of them are pretty consistent, and um, I don't think they're worth going through. Uh, just as a reminder, our patient days are were higher in 1.7 for the month and 9.7 for the year. So heads and beds mean we need more food, more supplies, you know, more labor, everything. So. That has been the story all year. The next slide goes more into detail on labor. Well, actually, we did this on two pages, excuse me. Um, the only thing on this page worthy to note is the depreciation and amortization. Um, we did do an adjustment. We were able to close the IT refresh project, and so we capitalized $1.2 in June to clean that project off, the CIP off our, our books. 
because uh, it's complete. And so we did see a $1.2 million additional depreciation of Next slide is the labor. And uh, the staff wages are over 21%, which is particularly high in the month compared to year to date, which is over 8.2%. Um, we made the workers retention payments. So the state gave us some funding for a, a subset of employees. And so we paid that out and we're showing the revenue in supplemental funds. So um, that is the key reason why this month is so much higher at 21.7% versus 8.2% year to date. Um, also worthy to note here is um, the higher registry. Again, it's, at, it's over 215%, but better than we've been doing. I mean, year to date, we were 271% over. And when we get to July, we'll have some more good news on that. So our rates are coming down. Um, so that's really great to see. And the big number there is right there in the deferred retirement. You can see the hit of 59.3 million. And again, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Next slide. This is the benefit slide. Um, so for employee benefits, we're over 4.3 million. Um, we had a one-time uh, impact from our union agreement with the GME residents. We were going to pay them a housing stipend, and so we paid 700000 which was accrued for FY23, and we're going to do that again for FY24. So that was not budgeted, and that was uh, one of the main drivers. In addition to that, it's the self-funded health expenditures, $9.4 million. We've been over all year. It's not a, nothing, nothing new. Next Question. slide. You mentioned on the previous slide about paying retention incentives. Uh, and we were reimbursed by the state for that. Yes. What, who was that for? <coughs> what types of employees? What did they have to do to earn that? They had to be physically on site and they had to be uh, mostly related to patient care or in a patient care facility. They could be doing admin, but they had to be in one of the facilities. So the state had all this criteria. Um, and so we basically, whatever we received, we paid to the employees. Uh, of course, we, we did have to pay the FICA ourselves. Is that, a, is that a COVID program or is that continuing? It's it's was a COVID program. So it's over now. It is. Over. So we, we can't use that to help us recruit going forward. No, this is a one-time thing. We know how many people receive payments for that. We roughly. do. I could pull it up. I don't know offhand, but um, it was a it was a pretty good share of the staff. If you give me a moment, I'll, I'll go back yeah, okay. and pull those emails. Sure. Thank you. <coughs> And then the next slide is the trending of FTE. Um, we do this one um, on a quarterly basis so you can get a trend. The red line is our budget FTEs. The blue line is our actual. And um, you can see there's a, there used to be a big gap between the two. So we would budget a lot more labor expense, which then put a lot of pressure on the organization to cut costs. Uh, to try to make ends meet. And then the reality is we never really would, you know, 
hire all those people. Um, and so it was kind of this exercise that was um, not healthy, I think, for the organization. So now what we do is we um, basically budget for run rate using, uh, using labor standards for the volumes instead of allowing people just to say, I'm going to need these people, so I want to put them in the budget. I add these people and add these people, and we never can add them. So that's something that this uh, graph shows that we've, we've made some improvement on. However, we have added a lot more FTE, um, and our volumes are almost back to pre-COVID. So this, that, this is really good news for the organization, because it's really hard to be efficient uh, if you don't have a lot of patients, right? And we can't, we still have minimum staffing requirements and all of those things. So um, the, uh, the goal for us is to now see if we can get more efficient. Next slide is the balance sheet. A um, couple of comments here. Our receivable days are down, and we'll, I have a slide on that next. Our uh, due to third parties um, receivable jump. Uh, again, that's that. Um, AB85 and those cost reports. Um, our net position is still negative at 86.4 million. So that's if everything was closed tomorrow, we would be in debt 86.4 million. Our NNB, however, is a receivable. It's positive still. It's been positive last month and last year. So good position for us to be. Next slide is the AR graph. Um, and you can see that uh, we we went down there in, in June. Uh, we did do a push for year-end. Um, that is true. Oftentimes in June, the state will stop paying and we go up. But in this year, uh, we didn't see that. And that is likely because we were submitting a fee-for-service hospital patient paper claims because of the NPI issues we had. We talked about that before. So we are, it's a lot of work, but we are generating paper and we are getting paid. Um, our collections were up for HB and PB, higher than trend, so that helped our days in AR. Candidates for billing, which means we got things out the door faster, which also helped our AR. Um, and the Pararev that we've been talking about over the last several months, We've got that inventory down to 12.5 million. You guys may have may remember it was up over 100 million. So we were at risk of losing that receivable. I uh, I can't tell you that we collected everything we would have wanted to collect on that, but we have, are not letting it get stale. And so we down 12. Was that mostly self-pay? No, it was. Uh, we uh, outsourced to Pararev when Huron was here. It was one of the initiatives to um, make sure that we didn't that we were able to touch all of our active AR. And when we went live with Pararev, we didn't interface the, the vendor with our system, and so we weren't able to communicate. Um, so now we fixed those that situation, and it's a good partnership, and our inventory is remaining low. The next slide is the collections, and as I say, this is what we want to see, which is the growth of patient collections, and we ended 2023 9.8% ahead of 2022, so that's looking good. Next slide is the NMB forecast, and you know, we are 
um, hovering around zero there. Um, we're not expecting that we will uh, exceed the NNV limit, which you know, historically has been a real problem. We're doing well on that. And the last uh, page is the material items impacting the NNV. And there was just a couple of changes. There was the November change um, for the AB85 realignment. Um, we thought we were going to pay back uh, $38 million. We're only going to pay back $8.4. So <coughs> that number changed in this total. And the other changes down at the bottom there, the Physician Spa 2008 settled. Great news. And we were able to reduce our reserves by $5 million. So those are the only changes to the NNB. Give me just a minute to pull up In July? Yeah. It's in a different file. So any, any questions on your end? So we didn't make the net income goal, but we more than exceeded the dividend goal. Yes. Almost there. Sorry, I'm having to pull it up from board vantage because I don't know. So this is the first month of the new fiscal year. Okay, so here's the volume. Um, we have uh, good news here too. Our average length of stay is 6.2. Uh, last year we were at 6.6, .6, so we're just a little bit above budget. But what really um, makes me happy on this slide is we, we picked up our discharges, right, because we wanted to improve our throughput and have you know, more patients. And we actually hit our discharge target for the first month of July of the new year. So that, that is great news. Um, our CMI was down, which would indicate we would normally have a lower like to stay in the month. Um, trauma cases, again, uh, were really high, 8.3% um, of the budget, which again helps our commercial payer mix. Is that a seasonal thing because that was the case in June as well? You go out in the summer and I, crashing I, cars and getting in fights or. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know if that's true. Or not. Or not. <laughs> we should run a couple, you know, two years to see if the trends. Oh, Charles <laughs> Kerman. Yeah, we've been in this business. I figured. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. I don't. I don't know. You know. That's an interesting thought. <laughs> Minnesota was mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Here, I don't know. All right, so um, emergency visits were down 4%. And again, I've been asked to add length without being left without being seen because people feel that we're, we're just not getting to everybody. So um, that way we can look at both metrics to make an uh, informed decision about the volumes there. Uh, surgeries were down 3.7%, mostly in inpatient. Outpatient picked back up again. So you, you went past something that struck me, which is the big number on the observation equivalent days, a very large variance. Yes. What so um, what, we, what we're doing is we are holding all of our Medicare um, less than two-day stays, and we are auditing them to make sure that they are compliant with the rules right. and that we can bill and be paid. So that is what is driving that. And we started that right about the beginning of July. So these are cases that we have built, not necessarily lost. Yes, we've, we've, hired, um, we've hired one nurse auditor. We've got another one coming on. And they're actually reviewing every one of those cases before it's we go to still two midnights? It is. You've got it. And um, moving down here, deliveries, um, lots of those. <laughs> I don't think I've seen us over budget um, for some time. We were we had 33 more deliveries in the month. Five a day. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's pretty significant. Uh, and then the skilled nursing uh, discharges above budget, um, census strong. This doesn't include the bed day holds. That's another metric that we're thinking we should add in here so we can make sure that we're getting paid for all the days. Um, clinic visits were on budget. Uh, RVUs were down a bit, but I think it relates to the, the, the fact that uh, clinic visits were close to budget and our patient days were down from trend. So uh, we're seeing they're just, they're just off a little bit. And of course, you know, the surgeries being down, you're going to have fewer physician RVUs. And next slide, please. So this is the graphic of the length of stay opportunity. Um, so we had uh, 2,393 opportunity days. Those are days that are in excess of the regulatory acuity models. So we would like to get that closer to what the acuity models say. We have to be careful because we are a safety net. So we know that you know our patients um, you know, may require longer stays in some cases, but um, definitely some opportunity here. Next slide is the financials. So I got some good news here. Um, our net income is 1.8 million, which is 1.7 better than budget. So we're starting out of the gate well. Uh, and our EBITDA was 5,100, which is 1.8 uh, better than budget. 
And I kind of summarized the main variances here just to try to make it uh, easier, more condensed reading. We did have an improved mix of services. We talked about that, an improved payer mix, and retail pharmacy just continues strong. Uh, we are still seeing a higher than length of stay that we want, which does drive up the cost, and we still are struggling with overtime and registry. So that's the, the high level. Um, the next slide gives you more detail on the revenue. Our uh, gross based on revenue was pretty much right on budget. Um, our uh, collection ratio at 19.5% was really strong because our budget was 18.9. And that's, again, those trauma cases, 8.3% better. That's a higher commercial mix, which really helps our bottom line. Next slide is the uh, governmental. Our supplemental programs are basically right on budget. We don't have any new information, so we're using budget. On the uh, grants revenue, there's some di timing differences there, but uh, you can see the retail pharmacy there um, in one month, 700,000 better than the plan. And the next slide is the expense highlights. Of course, labor is the largest. It's uh, off 2.5%. That looked like last year, 9.9, and you just saw the June. I mean, we are way closer than we have been. And um, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next slide. The physician contract services are favorable, and that is general surgery. We knew the surgery volumes were down. Materials and supplies are down 4%. It's all driven by the lower surgery volume. Um, the facilities is just timing of repairs. And that's really it for the month. There's really no big variances. Uh, labor's on the next slide. Uh, the staff wages are over 800, and that's pretty much all overtime. Uh, registry is over 600, um, and that is actually more FTE at a lower rate. So you can see my comment there that we had 93 more FTE than we wanted, cost us 2.6 million, but we were able to get them at a 2 million lower rate. So really good progress being made by the team on getting those rates down. Um, we did discover that we have a, a problem in our budget. We do not have any uh, SAN FTEs included in the paid FTE count. So although it says we're 116 FTE over, it's overstated because the SANs aren't in the budget. So we're going to have to figure out how to fix that. What are the SANs? SANS are um, services as needed physicians. Per diems. Per diems. And since now we have UKG, we have the ability to actually look at hours worked. We didn't have all this information before. We just knew what the payments were. We didn't know what they were actually working. So now we can do a much better job of understand, understanding what we're paying for, who we're paying, all of those things. I just see that our our registry is a million dollars lower than last July. Yep. 13%. So it's definitely moving in the right direction. Yes. And then the next page has the benefits of retirement comments. Um, uh, the benefits there I talked about, the uh, this is rounded down to 0.6 for the housing allowance for the residents. Uh, so that's half the, the variance. And the rest of it is the self-funded 
health insurance. So we're still, even this year, we don't seem to have budgeted enough. The costs have just really gone up for uh, health insurance. On the retirement there, um, we're just pretty much right on, and we are currently not, um, we have nothing in the deferred portion, and we will talk about that, but I just wanted to point it out. Right now, we have nothing there, and it just it shows no variance. The next slide is the graphic of the FPEs. So this is the, the graphic we use not on quarter end. This is the monthly one. This one's kind of a lot of information, but because labor was such a huge issue for us last year, we decided that this was needed. This is one of those graphs that maybe we won't need in the future. Don't know. But the productive is the yellow. And in this month, we had more productive people. So less people were on the absence, on you know, PTO, the, they were here working. We had um, less non-productive, which is consistent, right? For registry, we had 93 extra FTE, which we just talked about, that's the green. And you can see the overtime was 61 FTEs, the gray. <clears throat> and you can also see that our adjusted patient days are ahead of budget, which means, you know, we're gonna more heads and beds means we need more staff. And the next slide is the balance sheet. Um, still seeing lower AR days, so the team's working hard. Have a, a graph on that next. Um, there were some IGTs, which caused our due to third pay payers to grow and also our liability to the county since they give us the money uh, and then we have to pay them back. Net position is still negative, a little better, um, at 84.6. And then our line of credit is a receivable at 39 million. We good there. The uh, AR graph is next. And uh, we talked about the observations. Um, we have really started a focused effort on the medical necessity denials with the nursing um, appeal. Nurse appeal, nurse, I can say that, easy for me to say. <laughs> um, the clinical um, appeals nurses. <laughs> anyway, they're the ones that are doing these reviews. But I wanted to point out, you know, we've, they've, we've just engaged them. They almost brought in a million dollars. So, I mean, just great work. So, uh, and they've got our open denials down to 21 million from 56.4. So that's helping our AR days. We probably would have liked to have got paid more than the 1 million, but we got the 1 million. I mean, I, I, I just think this is, uh, I just wanted to point this out. I don't know if anybody has questions, if you understood what I was saying, but. Obviously, most of that are write-offs. Does somebody internally have to approve the write-offs? They we, just don't tell us where we're not going to collect this. We have a policy, and so to write off an account, it has to go based on the amount you're writing out. It goes all the way up to sharing, basically. And um, yeah, we we most of these are for not meeting medical necessity. Um, but uh, now that we have these nurses on staff, they can appeal and they can work with Dr. Portmini and some of the physicians and the fact that they were able to bring in 
you know, almost a million dollars, and they've only been here. I think the one gal we hired, what, two months ago? What? So, definitely a great. It's kind of like the rack auditors in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> the government's got these people find the stuff they shouldn't have paid, and you're finding stuff that's good evidence of why the healthcare system is such a mess. So the, the balance is coming down not because we're just writing stuff off, but we're actually working them. We're working. And we're writing off the ones that we know we have no chance. Yeah, we were struggling to get to these because you have to go through all the notes and, and, and my staff, before we had the nurses, I didn't have clinical staff to do this. Um, so we've now added this team to my group so that, that they can actually work. Is that something that is maybe sound odd, but everything we hear is artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence. All this stuff is data now. It's all in systems. Some In some future world, is that the kind of a job that a machine's going to be able to do? Well, I think the physician decision making uh, makes that very difficult because I think you can't replace that human. I mean, I don't know. I want to put you on the spot. <laughs> well, I mean, in the old days, the game that we played is our carriers would never tell you the exact criteria for paying or not paying the claim. Because if you knew the exact criteria, then you're going to adjust your claim up to that criteria if you can. And some institutions will do it even if they can't. Um, and so that, I guess the problem is this judgment call because you're not really exactly sure what they're looking for. Actually, if I can add in, we um, a number of us were just at the Epic user group meeting um, this year. Different years have different themes on it. AI was the discussion this year. Last year was digital front door. The year before, there was like trends. It was all about AI. And uh, you know, a few interesting trends uh, in this. Uh, one of the things, a little off topic from what uh, you're asking, but uh, there's a lot of uh, ambient uh, listening which will ultimately become a digital scribe uh, for clinicians, which documents. You're having a conversation with the provider that documents everything in there. We're looking at that and whether you can become an early adopter actually in that. It's, it's definitely going to be groundbreaking. Uh, but one of the things that they demonstrated in one of the breakouts I was in that was quite interesting is actually doing this where AI will look at your coding pieces and then where it sees that you need an exception with a payer, it will automatically do that for you. Now, this is not today, but this is the you know, near future, and near future being the next two, two to three years, I would guess. Don't hold me to that because it is future. Um, but over that time, we'll actually submit those claims to the payer to get them uh, pre-approved, et cetera. Now, the interesting thing is that the insurance company's payers are doing exactly the reverse, and they're AI and the denials, too. Right. So eventually, you'll have two AIs working against each other to figure out whether that um, particular patient should get um, get um, uh, approved or not for uh, care. And it's a very interesting thing when you start to have those, you know, today we solicit uh, you know, emails and everything yeah. like that to, to get that approved and in the future it'll be automated. But reply to us will also be automated by AI. Do you think the payers are going to tell us when they start using AI? Some of them already have. Always uh, finding another way to deny us <laughs> or drag things out. And we can find errors in the AI, and then just takes a couple of more months to. Yeah, work yeah but, but some of them absolutely already are. Um, some of the big ones are, are automating a lot of their work um, with it. But uh, yeah, that um, 
if you haven't played around with ChatGPT yet, I mean, it's just right, it's amazing how that's going to be changing our entire society in the very near future, uh, I believe. And but we're seeing this, you know, coming into healthcare with how we automate notes for physicians and clinicians and nurses, etc. Well, according to the radio today, that 50 of the 65 top AI firms are here, so going to be able to tap into some intelligence. <laughs> And uh, also, I just um, just since we're spending a little time on the accounts receivable, which is really important, we also um, have the JOCs. Those are Joint Operating Committees reestablished with Alameda Alliance. You know, they're going to be soon as our managed Medi-Cal provider. You know, close to you know over fifty percent of all of our patients. So the fact that they're willing to to work with us. Um, and review real time when there's denials or when there's patients in house is, is is really great. And we're having our second one with Brown and Tolan. Uh, we discovered that Brown and Tolan wasn't paying us, and so uh, uh, we we threatened to go after them. <laughs> and now they're at the table with us, and uh, along with uh, Blue Cross as well. So we're making headway, getting these relationships going, and um, reducing denials. I, I want a question about the relationship, which is that what's the impact for us of the lives that are moving from Anthem to the Alliance? Were those, were those patients seeing other providers or are they already our patients anyway? Well, what would happen is the patients that were already within our system that were under Anthem would now go under the Alliance. That's probably the simplest answer. I, I get that part. I guess what I'm wondering about is were there were a bunch of patients that maybe were in Anthem and were going to other providers that now might be coming to us or not? I mean, is, it, is, is there expected to be an impact in, in, in terms of business, in terms of... Not that I'm aware of. I think no. if they were going to CHCN, they'd probably still go there. Okay. I mean, we always have some going <clears throat> back and forth. But I'm not aware no, that we're expecting any significant change. Next slide, please. So here's our collections, and we're starting the year out with a 7.2% over last year. Always good to see. Um, next slide is the NNB forecast. Uh, we don't see any issues even with putting the budget in here. Um, so it Level 3 trauma alert, EPA 5 minutes. Level three trauma alert, EPA five minutes. And other than that, there's no, no changes from uh, last month. Next slide's the table. And again, uh, there hasn't been any, uh, any changes. We talked about SPA last time, and we talked about 885 last, last time. But we're just going to pay back that 8.4. Uh, and then I do have the entity financial statements here. Um, we changed the format a little bit, and we've got this in, in, in our other discussion item. We thought maybe the red and green might make it easier to read. Um, so in this case, everyone but San Leandro was favorable on revenue, on expense. Um, San Leandro was actually favorable on the system overhead, and Alameda and the others were uh, over on expenses and bottom line, um, the FQ clinics, John George and San Leandro didn't uh, hit their contribution margin. 
Next slide. Uh, we probably need to put some lines on here for the subtotals. Um, but we did add some metrics, and we do want to have a discussion about some new things that we might add. We can also put the dots up next to the stats so that it's a little easier to read. But um, we're of the opinion that we really need to look at the entity level and understand what's going on to really understand what's happening in our organization. And one of the issues we have here is, for instance, skilled nursing uh, is blended with Alameda. So maybe we need to have a couple more stats that call out you know, out the skilled nursing from the acute. So we can talk more about that, but I, this was a good picture that I could share. I think we had asked that now that we have a full year of entity financial statements under our belt, maybe you folks come back at a future meeting and review that and kind of tell us what you think it means and how any actionable uh, plans as a result of the results. Yes, and uh, COO Mark Bratsky is having monthly operating review, more meetings with the CAOs of each of the entities, um, which uh, I think it's I think it's been really a learning experience because the CAOs can actually see statements from what they control. Whereas before, they you know they could see a department expense budget, but they could never see the whole picture. So I think it's going to be very useful for everyone. All right, that is my finance reports for June and July. All right. Thank you. We're going to move on to uh, agenda item C1, which is a discussion on the proposed financial dash dashboard. This is in response to a request from uh, Trustee Splendorio several months ago when we talked about the change we want to see this year. Uh, and Mark and Kim will talk about their proposals. Kim, why don't you kick it off? All right, I can do that. <clears throat> and I can actually uh, take over if you'd like. Uh, yes, please. Share my screen. All right, you see it? There it is. Right. So just to remind everybody. Just to remind everybody, um, you know, we were we were asked to see if we could somehow uh, create a dashboard that would focus everyone on what's important and uh, it would replace, you know, diaries, hundreds of pages of posting, it, so reduce the volume, focus on what's important, and hopefully maybe standardized format so it's easier to digest, and also this, this concept of maybe pulling some other metrics from other dashboards like quality, True North metrics, that relate to some of the things that we're talking about in finance so that there's kind of like a you know, one-stop shop on what's important. So that that was what the takeaway was I got from the finance committee. So um, we currently provide uh, a letter that's usually 13 to 16 pages, uh, a summarized PowerPoint that I go over with the group, detailed financials, entity financials, and volume statistics. 
And then we quarterly have been doing the performance improvement we used to call BEST, now that's GRIT. So the team thought about this and thought, well, maybe the best way to do this is to maybe reduce the financial report, not make it 15 pages. Maybe we could get it down, um, you know, maybe four or five pages. Uh, keep the summarized PowerPoint, because that's when we call out what's important. We figured we still need to have the detailed financial statements, because the finance committee's got to have real, you know, the full financial statement. Uh, and then maybe do this new dashboard uh, with the key metrics on it, and we've got some things to, to, for consideration from you all. And then maybe change some of these things to just quarterly. Keep with the uh, GRIT, or the performance improvement quarterly, that's what we've been doing. Maybe do the entity financial statement on the off month, and then maybe do something special on the third month, whether it's, you know, revenue cycle, or if it's labor costs, or supplies, or something that is relevant um, for that year. So that's kind of where what we're thinking, just to kind of lay it out there. Um, so this is what you're getting now. You're getting this volume report here on a consolidated basis. Um, and then you're getting it by entity, so it has all these metrics with the reds and greens. We know people want us to add stuff, and we're happy to add it, but it's going to make these you know, pages longer. Uh, the left without being seen is one, the average ED wait time, and there may be others. And if there's something that you want me to take down today, I'll take it down. If you want to email me, we want to make sure we've got the metrics that people want to see. And then um, this was an idea that would be very abbreviated. So we would have just a couple volume statistics and maybe we might want to um, do something with skilled nursing, don't know, but this was just to kind of get people thinking in terms of a really abbreviated report. So it only has, you would only have year to date, right? We wouldn't bother doing month and year to date. It has no numbers. We could just put red and green for month and year. And then it's got the trend line going back 12 months. So you can see how volatile it's been or which way it's been going. And then um, it would have the volume, the revenue cycle items that we thought were important, the collection ratio. Obviously, cash is a percent of net revenue. Make sure that we're actually getting the cash reporting as revenue. Days and AR are also very important. The labor, the productivity percent tells us whether we are hitting our labor standards. Um, registry as a percent of total FTEs kind of tells you whether we're doing a good job of um, replacing registry with our own staff. And then the labor cost per FTE, um, just to see if we're you know, being consistent with budget. And then we had some profitability items, uh, total cost per adjusted patient day, operating margin, net position, and our NNB balance. Those seem like they're the important ones. And then the grit, we thought we could just break into a couple of buckets. Um, this is just the first month. It's it's red mostly because we haven't um, we haven't really uh, we haven't it hasn't been enough time to pull together information. And then we're always worried about the capital spend, so we could say a percent of the total capital spend. So this was our you know out of the gate simplest thing we could think of. Then um, we, maybe we should stop there and see if there's any comments. I think what you're proposing, Kim, is that this is what the top-level dashboard is going to look like. And so this, or if people really need numbers, but I want everyone to see how much busier it gets if we put the numbers in. So, <laughs> so, 
So, uh, you know, if you guys are just comfortable with red greens in the trend line, that's fine. If you want to actually see numbers, then it really gets a lot more busy. What do you folks think? Well, we already have numbers in the detail. The purpose of the dashboard is not to reproduce the same numbers. Um, To me, like a board like this isn't really that interested in dashboards. We're actually interested in numbers. Dashboards, I think, are the things that managers use. So, you know, how are we doing today? Kind of. <clears throat> so, I'm not really, I don't feel like I'm the customer for it. Okay. I think Trustee Slendario has a comment. I don't see him, but I, I see him. Glenn? Like, oh. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Kim. Um, so, let me give a. Uh, I actually like this. I, I I think that we, as trustees, we should have a dashboard, and, and we can dig deeper into the into the numbers as needed. Um, I would like to see uh, a, a couple more items added, uh, maybe maybe just one, and that might be uh, the N and B to the dashboard. I mean, we we, we always look at it um, and have a uh, uh, whether it's a green or a red or you know whatever. Um, the show that's there under profitability Glenn. it is yeah the number isn't there but under profit oh i got it okay i see it i see it sorry about that um thank you thank you very much alan uh, i also think there should be a legend um and maybe that uh explains uh, is this is it green because it's better than budget or less or red because it's less than budget i mean just tell us what you're really measuring so we somewhere at the bottom just what, what you know what exactly does a red light or a green light mean that I think would help because the idea was if I walked in to, um, uh, you know, maybe into Mark Fratsky's office and who didn't had never seen these before, would he have an understanding of what was going on? And that, that's, that's sort of, that's what I'm looking, hoping for that uh, when I asked for this, that could be shown to other administrators or heck even, um some uh other managers to see how how ahs is doing at any one given time you know in a one page that, that was my idea that it would be easier to understand or even if i walked into the cfos of another healthcare system and said you know do you have an idea what's going on here that that that's what i was hoping to, to find uh out here and um and i think you've accomplished it kim i i, I do um so we so this next slide talks a little bit about what you just said. We could probably condense this. Um, this is kind of why it's important here. So what my what comes to mind is maybe we go back to the summarize here and we just add a column as to why it's important or why we're reviewing it. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I just want to know, be able to know why is it red versus why is this green? I mean, you know, there has to be you're measuring, you're making a, a judgment there. And it's to put it to green and what, what is the, and like if it's, if it's a second page, that's fine. I'm okay with that. Because over time, we'll get used to what we're, what we're looking at. I think we'll Tristan remember. Got Sam had a comment. Yeah. Um, well, I'm a big uh, fan of dashboard because this is what I do for my other job. But is there any way where if you, where do you go? Let's say the way I have my dashboard at work is I have so many dashboards, but then you could grill through if you want more detailed information. Is that some possibility that it's like in one place, there's a dashboard, 
Now I could, if I want detail, I could drill through with the detailed information and some might not need it, but maybe some people just really wanna look at the, the, the very detailed information. Is that some That's a great comment. So if there could be a, that? there could be a, I think what you're saying is you'd like to see a reference mm -hmm. where if you wanted to look at the numbers for total adjusted discharges, yeah. where you could find that. And I don't know if it, we, we would show, we would say the name of the report or the Port number or something like that. The that's how, uh, I don't think we have the technology now on the thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I can I, help yeah. Tim out on this. Uh, you know, anything's possible with enough work. Um, unfortunately, our current tools, which is as I think our lawyer is a legacy loss in the system, won't make this easy to, at all to do. You know, if, we, if we're talking about epic, we can do that all the time with the goals. And in fact, we do that for our leaders when they have drilled down. So I, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, because I work with my idea. Yeah. A lot of my stuff, that my projects are all dashboard. But then I give my directors access to, if they need more detail, I say, okay, you could drill through. But those are all projects that I work with our one of our um, uh, um, projects that, that we have on the roadmap that we don't have funded yet is actually a replacement of our ERP system. We didn't know it's a legacy system um, there, but uh, right now, I mean, Kim, we could talk a little bit offline, but I think it would be a lot of work to both set up and maintain or your staff because it would be all manual things. Um, yeah, it would be. And also, too, how would we post it in for advantage? Yeah. Well, one, way, one thing we could do is just have a number for each detailed report, whether it's the income statement, the balance sheet, the volume report, and just put in parentheses the number of the report where it can be found. And not necessarily a link that takes you right there, but just look at report 11, and that's where, and it would be the same every month. So, uh, Trustee Fox, the one question I guess I have, and I'm on you, would know, but do we have to, to Ken's point, um, post all of that in more advantage? Because I don't think we can do that then. Well, if we, uh, provide something to a, to a quorum of the board who have to provide it to the public. So, as long as we make it available to the public, then we would be fine. Well, I think we could uh, refer to like the stats page or refer to something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Just a permanent reference that we really <clears throat> have to be managed every month. Mark, you had a comment? Yeah, I did. Um, Kim, Red means we did not meet the intended goal for that metric. Right. Green means we did. And I think that's all Splend is asking for on this page. I think I think if you go to the next page that was much more busy, no, the one where you had all the definitions and, yeah. That could be in the appendix, I think. My opinion. <clears throat> but I, I, I just want to make sure I'm getting at what Splend was thinking about there. I, I thought it was something simpler in terms of the definition on that front page. Splend, do you have any comment? No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Mark. I had a couple of thoughts. One of them, one, um, um, if you go back to the first, uh, uh, we have in there under profitability cost per adjusted patient day, but I wonder if we should also could also have, or instead have cost per adjusted discharge. Because as we're bringing down our registry and length of stay, what we're really trying to do is bring the total cost for the patient's stay down. That's, and, and so as we have less 
fewer patient days, we should see this come down. Just a thought it might be a more valuable item. And then the other is we have profitability, operating margin percent, but we don't say whether our operating margin or our EBITDA is either red or green versus budget. And one more thought, and this, this might be a little off the wall, but um, if, you're, if you have a variance that's, let's say, extreme, for lack of a better word, might it merit two red <laughs> circles or two green circles to say, hey, we're not only beating this one, we're kicking butt on this one. And I don't know how, I mean, that's just the thought. I don't know how we would Alan, what figure that out. On the bar, Pardon me? What do you see that on the bottom? Okay. Uh, well, you see the trend. Yeah, that's yeah. true. We could have a yellow. Well, either you're ahead or you're behind. And I think the great thing about this is that I've always felt that if you're on the finance committee, you, you should at least have kind of an elevator speech, which is, are we doing better or worse than last year? Are we doing better or worse than budget? I think the members of this committee should carry that around with them without having to look it up. Uh, and this really helps, helps you do that. So are you guys fine with just having the one column year to date and, and just year to date and the trend? Okay. Yeah. And then um, we could either add a column here as to why it's important or we can leave it in the appendix. Is there a, any consensus? With the appendix. Okay. That works for me. Splen, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. And I want to echo what, what, what you were saying, Alan, because last year, you know, I'll, I'll, if somebody asked me and they did, they said, well, we're making money. And then, then it was tough to go beyond that, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Well, I think are we making money or losing money is another thing that all of us should know uh, without not necessarily quoting numbers, but, you know, are we making money? Are we losing money? Are we ahead or behind of last year? I think those yeah, ahead of time budget. Well, this help. This get, provides more, you know, a, a, a little bit more detail where you can say, well, where are you making money, or wh how are you making money, or or how are you losing money? I mean, you know, those sort of things are really all, or, or you know, like looking at labor. How productive is your is your labor force, or is it productive? You know, I mean, those sort of things. People, you know, I would want to be prepared to be able to discuss. I think you know we should, but. Let's take it one step at a time. At least we ought to know the overriding uh, situation and how we're doing. Okay. And maybe a member of the board who's not on this committee will ask somebody on this committee how we're doing. Right. That's the we, should, we should be able to respond to that without quoting, you know, two dozen numbers to them. But at least are we doing better or are we doing worse? That's that's the key. Can I ask a question? Yes. Question. Um, so on this dashboard, this is a rolling 12 months on the trend. Well, it's just but year one, to date. Uh, this, like this is one month, what August would be two months. Is there a possibility of like having to look at what was July of 2022 and compare and say, oh, well, it's the same even though it's red or, you know, something like that? I mean, I'm just thinking the way I have, like, I have all this look back on my dashboard. That is 12 months. Yeah. 
the trend line. So the trend is line is 12 months. So if you go to the very first point, uh -huh. that would either be July or August of last year. Of last year. Yeah. I see. Okay. And the detailed reports have prior year to date. Yeah. So and put add a reference to it, then you'd be able to see it. Be able to find it. But it's a 12 months, but it doesn't. I guess my point is because sometimes the way I'm comparing, you know, sometimes you know people will have this reaction, oh my god, but then I may have to explain to them, like, but this is kind of what we have similar from the same month. You know, even though I see this is this is a rolling twelve months, but I want to see, for example, well, what was happening this the the comparison of the month. Of July to the month of July last year. In terms of a whole number? Yeah. I'm just wondering if this do we, is something. Is there a drill down in any of the other? Well, I think we could put the reference, which would take you to the stats page where you could okay. see the stats has last year and this year. Because I just don't want some times people may react, yeah. but okay. they have it. Well, well, maybe that is the same here. thing, but then, okay, so you know, but so you're still seeing some improvement. So like this is the one for the entity and it has all these stats, prior year, year to date, oh, loan. And then this one here is consolidated so we could put a reference to whatever page this is. And then you can see the actual numbers rather than just duplicating them in the dashboard. And then I think we, the only other thing we thought we would do is change the entity financial statement here I think I already shared this with you. We can move the dots up to and add some more stats here, but um, I think for us, I think this is really good detail. And again, this might be something we could refer back to. And would that be, you're talking about a year-to-date statement for the entities? Yeah, we do it month and year-to-date. There's two of them in there, but we would just do it if we want to adopt the proposal, which I'll go back to here in a second, is we would just do this quarterly. I think that Promises makes sense. To the ER, I, level two EPA uh, I don't think minutes. we need it every Promises month. To the ER, level two I think, EPA that, I think having minutes. it quarterly and maybe spending a little more time on it than we do now is is better because things don't change that much month to month. And my guess is I'm guessing that after the members of the committee read the, the reports that are in there, they probably don't spend that much time on the entity financial yeah, statement. Yeah, that's a good Point, Ellen, and the follow-up action steps take a little while to stick to. It isn't like we did something and now it immediately changes. So I think quarterly would actually. So I do, is the committee comfortable with this kind of a proposal here? Just one more question. The one that you I really like this this report that you showed the the, the month year today. So the, this is not something that you can put on the dashboard after the other one, or this is just something where just look at whatever page. Yeah. I'm not sure which one you're asking. Oh, the, the, the one that she showed with the month. This one oh, here? The, yeah. The, the That's in your packet each month. So that will just be, on the dashboard, it will just say, refer to this. Yeah, C page, page 22, or page 44. Or I think yeah. these are helpful reports to see the volume. That, that doesn't mean we have to talk about them all every month, but if you want to look something up, you know, like, gee, how's our rehab discharges? It's there, you know. Helpful. Okay. 
Um, I think I got some good guidance there. Um, is there anything else on here? Are they, so we've got, in the dashboard we're thinking every month, because that would be the summary. Yeah. And then I do want to point out our plans are to do the service lines and the benchmark comparisons. And uh, we, we do want to finish out the stats on the entity financials. And I did put some samples that were out there on the web, but when I looked at these, I just thought I was just going to add more pages. You know, so it's going against the the, the, you know, the wishes of the board. You know, so I add all these, we'll have 110 pages. <laughs> um, before we wrap this up, I just would be remiss if I didn't state that July, um, from a financial perspective, I think depicts a lot of the good work that's going on. I mean, we've, we've dropped, actually, the, the monthly labor expense used to be five to seven million, over it's two million is all this month, with 600,000 to two being overtime that we're also working on. Um, you know, the registry costs are way down, and I, I just really would be remiss if I didn't thank the leadership team in this organization and all the staff for it. The hard work that's going on around this and i know it's one month let's keep our fingers crossed and continue to you know, a lot of times when your first month is a trend that continues in the year another thing that's favorable is that volumes are getting back toward pre-covid yeah. volumes and you know in important areas like outpatient surgeries up 19 percent over last year we, we tend to do a lot of comparisons with budget but comparisons with last year i think are also meaningful and that stat is important Trauma is up 10% over last year. Clinic visits are up 6% over last year. Adjusted discharges are up 12%. That all speaks to, you know, cases coming in the door without regard to length of stay. So, you know, patient days isn't that meaningful when you have a high length of stay, but when you have more cases coming in the door, that's good for the most part. So nobody has any heartburn skipping any of these kinds of things and no. going with what we proposed? I don't think so. I mean, we're, we're trying to kind of condense Simple, yeah. what and distill what we're doing, not adding a whole lot of new pages for, for staff to produce. So right. I would say let's do what we pointed out, what we talked about tonight. We like it. Thank you for, for working on this. Uh, and and if later on, maybe we can add some of these other things, but I would say let's take it one step at a time and not create a whole bunch of new work. Any other thoughts? Going once, going twice? Okay, so you got what you need on this one? I did, thank, thank you. you. All right, and we're going on to item C2, which is the impact of the actuarial report for ACERA on FY23 and on the FY24 budget. And um, I did send you an email. Okay, I might not. I didn't see that at the same time. Okay. Oh, me just now? Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, so we talked about the fact that we had a huge adjustment for our deferred retirement expense. It was a hit of $59 million, which uh, basically, uh, unfortunately, kept us from hitting our budget for net income. It, it's not a cash outlay, so it doesn't impact EBITDA. But it was so material that I felt like we needed we felt like we should have a conversation here about it. So um, when we, along with that, when we approved the FY24 budget, we said once we got the actuary report, we would make an estimate on what the deferred portion would be, and we still need to, to act on that. So uh, we're going to make a recommendation here today. Uh, it, it's down there at the bottom that we will not put anything um, as the deferred portion in this year, and we'll talk about that, but that's kind of the direction we're going. Um, so we missed it so badly last year. Um, we accrued a credit, meaning we were reducing our labor costs, and we ended up with an expense of 25.9. So you add the 33.4, the credit, plus the 25.9 that we now have to recognize, that's the $59.3 million hit we took. I mean, that's, you know, really material and, you know, uh, people out in the world might think, you know, how could that, you know, possibly happen, right? How could you be that far off? Well, I don't have a crystal ball and the reality is on December 31st of 23, um, where there's going to be a measurement date on that date and it's going to, based on where the, our investments are, it's going to determine what our future liabilities are. So last year in December, the market had dropped about 14% is what the ACERA report says. Um, and so, you know, we did our budget in June. <laughs> and so in December, we, or we, the actuarial does their measurement, but we don't get the report until May, and we took this big hit. So... This year, I felt like we needed to talk about what we what we need, wanted to do. So um, this is a busy slide. I don't want to make everybody go through this, but I just want to point out a couple of things. If you look down under the income statement, there's the expense pension, 54, 5, 56, 4, 62, 6, 66, 1, 62, 9, and we budgeted 71 for 24. Those are really consistent. Right? And that's what our actual expense is. That's what we actually write a check for and we contribute to a Sarah. That doesn't jump around very much at all. What jumps around hugely is this, and we'll just look at the pension expense, not the other post-retirement um, benefits, just the pension. That's the Sarah in this case. You know, in 2020, it was an expense of $20.6 million. In 21, it was a credit of fifteen eight. And then a credit in 22 of 27.8. And then now this year, it's an expense of 22.7. So last year, we budgeted a credit of 20.1, which, of course, was way off. So I really don't know what to do. And if I look at the market today, it looks like it's pretty much recovered. So all of this would, all of these this hits that we're taking will go away. But I don't know what we're, where we're going to be on December 31st. So what we would have done historically um, 
is we would have taken this report that we get from them, and at the bottom of it, there's a number of 24, 6,564,305. We would have said, okay, that's our deferred expense, and we would have added 10% to it and booked it. <clears throat> but it's, it, you know, that's going to change completely when they get the next measurement date. So um, I've, I've got the 12 reports here, but they, they say the same thing. So here we are with our budget. We need to decide what number we want to put in for that deferred um, retirement required under GASB 6875. And um, me and my team are, are saying let's just leave it zero because right now the market looks positive that it will correct over last year's big negative hit, which was about 13% of total assets for the Sarah plan and just see what happens. So what we would be doing is ratifying the budget that was approved in June as is, with no additional expense for the deferred retirement portion. So I said all of that. People have questions? I would just comment that I think it's a good idea. Um, I think the market has recovered you know, roughly, if you look at the S&P, maybe 60% of what was lost between the end of 2021 and 2022. So we could budget uh, a favorable number, you know, a credit, because if things stayed the way they were today, all the way through December 31 of this year, we would then have a favorable pickup at the end of 2024. But who's to say they are? And the market's been going down the last five or six weeks. Um, market could continue to go down. And if it dropped closer to where it was at the end of 2022, then we'd have another unfavorable surprise at the end of the current fiscal year. On the other hand, if the market stays above where it was at the end of 2022, we'll have a pickup and we'll gratefully you know, add that to our 2020, FY2024 income. So I would say, you know, we got, we kind of got burned last year and it's not because we did anything wrong. It's because we used our historical process of averaging the previous five years. But this year, since we know that, you know, the amount of volatility that's been in the market the last 18 months or so, I think we should just conservatively not not budget a, a pickup and, and just take it if it's there. And if not, uh, we won't have it, but we won't be any worse off. So open for comments that the committee might have. My question is, uh, does the GASB uh, allow this much discretion in what we put there? Is that really true? Well, we're talking about what's in the budget. I understand what's in the budget, but uh, but isn't this supposed to reflect uh, compliance with uh, accounting rules? Well, the actual does. We do book to the actuarial report as required under GASB, but for our budget, we can do whatever we want. We don't. We haven't hired an actuarial uh, firm to take a to guess what 
they think it will be. I know some right. companies do that. Then I'm fine with this. If it, 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 then, you know, whatever your best estimate is, then I, I mean, I, we're not, I'm not in a position to second guess you. So as long as, you know, as you say, this is, this is what my, I'm looking at my, you know, the, what's looking for the year. And I think zero or $1 or negative one is the right number. Then I'm going to be, that's fine with me. I think it's prudent to expect that you won't have two eight years in a row, which is essentially what you're saying. So I, I don't think anyone would argue that we're not being responsible or prudent to make that prediction. So I think we need a, a motion to approve the, the budget, um, if anybody so desires. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. Didn't we? You said you're in essence. This is the same number we had on the on the budget so we approved. We really need to. We're not changing anything. We're not right, changing I, anything. We had said we were going to make an adjustment, so I don't know. Yeah, I agree with Splendor. If it was zero, then it's we're, not, we're not making any changes. Okay. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. We're going on to uh, the proposal to approve the extension of two contracts for biomedical, one for biomedical equipment maintenance service and one for biomedical equipment management service both with the same vendor, Agility Healthcare. So Mark, would you like to talk about that? I can give a little, uh, little bit more detail, certainly if you have any questions, of course. So uh, we've been contracted with Agility for a number of years, um, uh, both for, as you mentioned, both for maintenance on our equipment, as well as for um, basically uh, rental equipment, uh, bed management, those sorts of things with them. We're wanting to extend those contracts. They're, they're basically getting to end of term. We want to extend those contracts for, I think it was through March or April of next year, to give us enough time to basically negotiate a new uh, master agreement with them. Uh, both of those contracts grew over time, and so we have some disjointed pieces to the contract, and it's taking us a little while to sort all of that out. So back in the March-April timeframe, we'll be back to you with, and basically we're intending to move forward with agility, but it would be with a new master contract, replace the uh, fragmented contracts we have at this point. Okay, so it, do I have this correct that that you decided kind of late in the game that you wanted to blend these two into one contract and you weren't ready to do that? Correct. And we're working on looking for seven more months uh, at the same amount that we've been paying up right. till now. So it's not going to change anything. Possibly exactly the termination the date. Possibly the same terms are the same. It's just we're extending the termination date. Uh, one of the things we're working through with them right now is service level agreements, which the current contract doesn't have any on. That's really the best effort contract that we want to submit some specs on. So does the management part of this contract have a track? where our equipment is physically in the facility? They do that, but manually. And so uh, yeah, that, I think where you're going with it, um, uh, uh, Trustee Fox, is you know, we have an automated uh, tracking system. The answer is no. It's one of the things we're actually exploring with them as a possibility of the new contract. And so I, I imagine that we've got a pretty hefty cadre of rented equipment, because hospitals are always renting um, ventilators or other equipment. Um, do we regularly check and see, you know, if we're renting anything continuously that we buy it instead to bring our costs down? Yeah, we actually hired a new director, a um, gentleman named Deshant, um, uh, to tell um, 
year and a half ago, and he is our employee uh, in that. So we, we insourced that piece of it to us, which is really the auditing pieces and that and he does. He's actually been doing tremendous work around that. We've got several initiatives uh, just in the last uh, 12 months that have driven down uh, costs around bed rentals, as an example, pretty significantly. And we're taking each of those programs as, uh, as a part of this. That's part of what we're putting into this. And that's not something that Agility does for us. They're supposed to, um, but it's a little bit, you know, uh, candidly uh, asking the fox to watch the hen house uh, sort of thing. That's why we've insourced that particular piece of it. So the new contract will have. That really is our response. Because I don't remember seeing anything in the capital budget that said buy some more beds so we can rent, stop renting, or buy some more ventilators so we can stop renting. Actually, we just did a major refurb. We did the pilot on it on our beds. We're actually doing refurbished beds. Um, they, uh, we did a test with our nursing area, and that's going to save us about a million dollars a year over the next five years. Uh, in that area, uh, and specifically something that actually Mark Kravsky and uh, Christine, our CTO, worked on through one of our subcommittees. That's a good use of our capital dollars. It, well, it is. There's something in our capital line called Biomed Refresh over okay. the next three years that includes a lot of this detail we're talking about. That actually, uh, Trustee Fox, we started a year and a half ago, the first um, refresh, I think it was. Yeah, so last year was the first year we recognized that. Prior to that, we were constantly on a state where we basically wait for something to break and then fix it. We're now getting ahead of the curve and proactively replacing this, this equipment. So this new employee is going to have a manual inventory of where our rentals are? They do. They do. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, if a, a new patient's coming in and they need a certain kind of bed, it's easier <clears> for <throat> the department manager or the unit manager to say, well, okay, rent it, go rent them bed because I don't have time to have somebody run around the whole hospital and find out if we have one. Well, and, and trust that me, costs money. Actually, with that piece, we automated that about a year ago as well in Epic. So now, um, if you need a specialty bed, so this would be um, uh, you know for an extremely heavy person, a person that has wound care, those sorts of things. We actually order those in Epic now, and we automate the order over to our, our partner with Agility, and so we get real time reports on that, and it. it requires the nurse's order. And what was happening in the past is when the patient was leaving, the nurse wasn't always informing agility because they used the bed immediately on another patient because they needed it. Um, um, or agility was slow to pick it up. Now what happens is when you discharge the patient, um, it automatically stops the rental of the bed. And so even if agility takes two or three days to pick the bed up, we're not charged for but it. We know where everything is that we that we because own and that we, and that we that rent. Patient, that room through the ordering process. Other questions? Can we have a motion, please, to approve D1 and D2? Motion to approve D1 and D2. Can we have a second, please? I'll second it. Okay. Um, all right. and Sain. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Obligacion. Aye. Trustee Sain. Aye. And Trustee Slendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Okay, we have come to the end of our agenda. So thank you very much for your participation and we will see you on October 4th, first Wednesday in October, same time. Thank you. Best meetings ever. Good night. <laughs>